This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Make sure to grab that immunity certificate next time you want to go somewhere. You know, fly, eat inside, go to a concert. Once the normal activities get started again, are there going to be requirements to show some type of proof you got a COVID vaccine? If you want to go see your favorite band, if you want to go on vacation. So does that happen? Will we get legal battles? We'll take a look. We'll also get into how long-haul COVID is making lives difficult and who it's impacting the most. And anti-vax protesters disrupted vaccinations at Dodger Stadium. We'll look into whether they'll get louder and louder, not just here, but around the world. Let's start, though, with these immunity certificates. Hank Greeley is director of the Center for Law and Biosciences at the Stanford Law School. Hank, are these certificates or cards going to be needed just about everywhere, at least for a while? So I got the, the great answer for you. It's not clear. Um, it could end up going either way. Um, I wrote you know, a year ago, well, a little less than a year ago, about real problems with immunity certificates. But vaccine certificates are a little clearer because, you know, you don't have to depend on whether somebody actually had the virus or not and what it meant. You've got vaccination. But you still have a problem with counterfeits, especially if these do become useful. I've got a little, I got vaccinated first shot on January 20th. I've got the little piece of paper. It would not be hard for anybody to fake that little piece of paper. There's nothing very special about it. Uh, And then the fact that some people have had a chance to get vaccinated and the vast bulk of the country hasn't. And this, you know, there, there are reasons why the people who've been first in line have been first in line. But a lot of people would be unf- would be cut out of things for no good reason. So I think there's still some reasons to be concerned. I'm pretty sure we will be using them in some contexts, like workers at nursing homes, for example. You want your staff to, to be vaccinated so they don't infect anybody else. More broadly, uh, not sure how we're going to go. Yeah, I mean, there was the early ideas of, of from the concert promoters, right? Like, oh, we're going to figure this out, and then we'll, we'll let everybody in who's only had the vaccine. And people thought, okay, well, maybe that's kind of far-fetched. But we're almost there when it comes to the airlines. There's more and more airlines where you got to take a negative test, at least. And test is not the same as getting vaccinated, obviously. But there's systems in place that kind of lead us in this, in this sort of a direction. Yeah, I think there are really three different levels to think about it at. One would be the government saying you've got to get a vaccine to do certain things. That's a non-starter for most purposes, although for things like being a a hospital worker, government might do that. Maybe in some school situations, the government might do that. A second level is the government saying, we're not going to force anybody to do it, but hey, businesses out there, you want to do this, it's okay with us. And the third level is for the government to say nothing about it and the businesses to do it on their own. That runs into some big uncertainties about the law, about whether this might be, for example, a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act to keep people from engaging in normal activities because they hadn't been vaccinated. And to to be honest, there's, there's no precedent on that with respect to vaccination certificates. So how it will go is unclear. My guess is that it will be used in some particularly uh, important situations like healthcare workers uh, not infecting people. I think probably uh, this is one of those things we need to put on the checklist to have figured out for the next pandemic, because I think by the time we get this figured out, uh, 
hopefully everybody or almost everybody's going to be vaccinated. Yeah, I was going to ask you mentioned uh, historical precedent. Is there any historical precedent? Because God knows we've had uh, in the history of this country, we've had other uh, uh, epidemics, if not pandemics, we've had mass vaccinations. I'm thinking, uh, you know, polio in the 50s. There was a smallpox uh, uh, outbreak in New York City, and I think it was 1947 or 48. Um, yep. Has there been a, a, any case in the past that you know of where people were required to show documentation of vaccination to do mundane things like going to a sports event or travel on a bus or train or plane? Not that I know of, except we do now require healthcare workers to show to have vaccination to be, say, to have hospital staff privileges and to be able to work in the hospital. You've got to have your hep hepatitis B vaccine, for example. And we have had times when um, everybody has had to get vaccinated. There actually is one Supreme Court case on vaccines that's relevant from 1905 where Massachusetts said that we've got a smallpox epidemic, everybody gets vaccinated, or you get fined. And the US Supreme Court said, yes, that's okay. I can't think of anything where we've said, in order to go to a concert, in order to go to a bar, in order to get on an airplane. Although it's still the case that there are countries in the world where if you're gonna get on an airplane to them, you've gotta be able to show you've had an appropriate vaccine, uh, usually for yellow fever. Yellow fever is the one that is the biggest deal. So in that case, the, the governments require United or American or whoever to check to make sure you've got the, the little yellow vaccine certificate uh, before they'll let you on a flight to a country where that's a requirement. Hank Greeley directs the Center for Law Biosciences at Stanford Law. Getting a rough case of COVID-19 is bad enough physically and mentally, but what if you wake up every day with reminders of the worst of what you went through? That is what long haulers deal with every day. KYW's Matt Leon talked with Dr. Annette Riboli, Dean of the Cooper Medical School at uh, Rowan University, to break down the long-term effects of the virus. I would say that there are a couple of groups of patients. Okay, so before we talk about the long haulers, Let's talk about other types of patients. There are patients who have had very severe COVID, hospitalized in the ICU on respirators. Their various organs in their body, their lungs, their heart, their kidneys may be affected. They've been on a uh, ventilator, a respirator for a prolonged period of time. For that group of patients, it's expected that they will need a recuperation period. They're not going to get better very quickly. They've had sequelae and complications. Uh, those patients will need a rehabilitation. They've lost muscle strength and that is expected and that could take weeks to months. In addition, with viral infections in general, historically there have been individuals who after a viral infection have had other symptoms, mainly fatigue, overwhelming fatigue, difficulty with thinking, not getting back to their baseline. The long haulers are coming into the latter group. Uh, many of these are people who were not hospitalized. There are some studies that have been done in Italy and in Ireland as well, studies that had 
you know, 150, 200, maybe 300 patients. These are individuals who you would have expected would have recovered by now. They are weeks to months out. Some of them had never had to go to the hospital. They recuperated at home. They never required any type of therapy. Yet they're having persistence of a feeling of a lack of wellness. Fatigue seems to be the major symptom. Some of them have residual cough, chest pains, muscle aches, and this uh, sensation of brain fog uh, where uh, they can't focus. They're having difficulty with their thinking, with their memory. And these symptoms are, of course, very disconcerting to people. It appears that COVID is not this binary illness where you're sick and then you're better and then it becomes history. So this group is now the subject of a lot of interest and the CDC is doing studies. Other groups have been generating databases of individuals with symptoms as well, with these, these longstanding symptoms. Uh, well after uh, the illness uh, should be over. You know, you can no longer uh, detect active COVID uh, infection, active SARS-CoV-2 in these patients. So these are people who should be better. And it crosses age groups. It, uh, you know, it, uh, so it's, it's mystifying in this regard. It's not just very elderly people or very, very sick people, people with mild disease. No one seems to know why this is happening. You kind of referenced this earlier. It sounds like the idea of, of something like this happening long term, it's not unprecedented, but the scale we're seeing, this is this. Is this the scary part or is it just so many people have been infected, you take that percentage and it's just such a big number because we've had so many infections? Kind of where does this fall on that scale of how unusual this is? So uh, the estimate, the estimate that's generally given right now is about 10 percent of uh, COVID infected patients are now called long haulers. Other terms have been used and sort of an analogy to other entities. Dr. Fauci this summer compared it to the myalgic encephalomyelitis slash chronic fatigue syndrome group. Others uh, are using other terms, systemic exertional intolerance. Some have had said that there are symptoms similar to autonomic nervous system dysfunction. But I think that we're at such a fledgling stage. You know, there are these theories and hypotheses that people are formulating, but no one knows the real answer at this time. No one says this is the cause of it. You know, it, it, it is a, a persistence because of an activation of something within the person's body, you know, and it may be part of their immunological response, uh, et cetera, to this. Nobody really knows. It warrants investigation. And anybody who is having these prolonged symptoms after they should recover, you should recover. If you have mild illness, you should recover in a week, two weeks. You should be better and able to go back to you know working and living your life. This is also a quality of life issue for people. So anyone who has these persistent symptoms should see their physician. 
and their physician will pursue a workup to see if there are other causes besides COVID or a sequelae that could be treated. If there's damage to the heart muscle, that could be treated. If there's damage to the lungs, that could be treated. If there's damage to the kidneys, you know, that could also be monitored and, uh, you know, addressed over time. So that's why I think it's important to seek medical care. There have even been some patients with these symptoms who were found as an aside to have some kind of nutritional deficiency that could be addressed or they're found to be anemic. So I think it's very important as a message to your viewers that uh, they do seek medical care and not just suffer in silence, uh, just in case there is something right now that can be addressed. From the point of view of the medical community, when we talk about these long haulers and the fact that it doesn't, for lack of a better term, make sense, that it's all over the age spectrum, that it's both genders, across races, comorbidities, everything. How frustrating slash alarming is that? So I think it's always a concern because people are suffering with this and uh, we don't know how long this will last. You know, we're just going to be in in about a month or two approaching uh, the real recognition of the pandemic. So in some of the studies, they have followed these folks out weeks or months, but we don't know the full extent of this. Now, there does seem to be a preponderance among women with this. And, you know, that brings up another issue as well. You know, perhaps some bias, perhaps some medical gaslighting, if you, you know, if, with that term, uh, that may happen. But the idea is to believe the patient, investigate, and, you know, we anxiously await more studies of this. Uh, we're starting to see them coming up out of other countries but nobody has yet to be able to really give a good case definition, to define it, to say it's caused by this or by that. And I think it's an issue of supporting these patients through their illness. Coming up after this short break, anti-vaxxers are starting to get loud. What will quiet them? The anti-vaxxers are back making noise. A group over the weekend disrupted vaccinations at Dodger Stadium here in Los Angeles. It's one thing to avoid the vaccine for personal reasons, religious reasons. It's another to spread misinformation or to shut down vaccination sites. With us is Alana Newman, vaccine skeptic, organizer and founder of the Health Freedom Summit. Wasn't involved in the Dodger Stadium protest. Uh, But Alana, explain your concern over the COVID vaccine or other vaccines. Yes. Well, as a mom of three kids, I started to see how um, we ended up into the emergency room every time we, t- we took a vaccine. And so being surrounded by other moms and other uh, and lots and lots of children, I just um, came to become skeptical. And then you you dig through news sources and you realize that actually the um, vaccines have not been properly placebo tested. They're using old vaccines. They're using um adjuvants like mercury and aluminum as the blind placebo, but they're not in fact. Okay, wait, all right, I, Alana. Getting I, all that from where, yeah, exactly. Be, be, because I, we've been doing an awful lot on this program for the past year, and certainly the past few months in vaccines, and I feel almost as if I have, I don't normally want to do this, but I almost kind of feel a need to educate you, because you're, you're saying stuff that, we know, Mike and I know from the show and having talked to innumerable experts, 
Some of it is just not true. Or do you know it's not true? There's no mer- there's no mercury in these things. They had the they have been adequately and more than adequately placebo tested. Where are you getting all this from? There um there is still thymer cell mercury, especially in the flu shot. Um, there's well, a well, let's talk about the COVID shot. Yeah, but James- let's talk about the COVID shot, okay? So because that's what that's what we're talking about now. The COVID shot. There's no mercury. In the COVID shots, they all have been the ones that are currently available in this country, Moderna, Pfizer, the ones yet to come, Johnson & Johnson and Novax and a whole host of others down the road. All of them have been or are being very thoroughly placebo tested. So they're not. They skipped animal testing. Entirely, and in 2005, no, that's not true. Uh, no, a lot of that's not true. But that's just not true. I, I mean, makes I, I, it impossible we, to sue a vaccine manufacturer if they kill or harm you. We want to, to Alana, stop for a second. We, we really do want to have a, a good discussion with you about this because clearly there are a lot of people in the country who feel the way you do, and I get that, and that's why we have people who are anti vaccinations. but in order to have a discussion with you, we all have to agree that certain facts are facts and certain things are just not facts. And then There's we can have a discussion. Facts, And I have friends whose babies have died after a vaccination. So you can never tell me that my own what I've seen with my own eyes is not true. Alana, there are people, Alana, there are people who, Alana, emergency room Alana. Is- Alana, there are people who die, unfortunately, after a rainstorm. It doesn't mean they died because of the rainstorm. I mean, one thing doesn't mean the other thing is true. Poison into people is a problem. And we have the highest chronic illness rate out of any developed country. Our infant mortality rate is behind Serbia. It's embarrassing. Our SIDS rate is astronomical. And the only thing that's different about America versus these other countries who are far healthier is that we have higher vaccination rates. So tell me why that is. And do the pharmaceutical companies make money when you're healthier, when you're sick. Clearly, they make money when you're sick, which is why the flu shot is freeze, because it's a little dose of poison that keeps you chronically ill. And I and those people are saving lives at Dodger Stadium trying to save people from getting the, the trouble people have, though, is that you've got the greatest scientific minds in the world who have spent years and years and years Probably. doing Incredibly. their things. And they tell us that it's fine. And then we have a group of people who were about health. They would be talking about nutrition. If this were about health, they would be telling people how to eat better, how to improve their cell structure. They people would be who in- eat and take vitamins can still get anything. It's a virus. Alana, can, can you do me a favor? I, and and I, I don't mean this to uh, to make fun of you. I'm really not. Uh, can you briefly explain to me how a COVID vaccine works? The COVID vaccine is... Um, it's an mRNA vaccine, which obviously I'm not a virologist, but the virologists that I follow, such as Professor Dolores Cahill and Sukhreet Bhakti, are saying that do not take this vaccine because it causes autoimmune conditions. And it's every time no, they I didn't try ask, to... That wasn't the question I asked. I, I, that wasn't the question I asked. And death in the yes, but that wasn't the question I asked. Do you know how it, how it works? Because if you're telling people they shouldn't get something because it's dangerous to them... You should at least, I think you would agree with me, you should at least be able to tell us how the thing works that you think is dangerous. So how does it work? The virologists that I follow, Dr. Dolores Cahill and Sukhreet Bhakti, who are award-winning virologists, and they teach this stuff at the highest level, are saying they're warning people not to take it because every time they've tried to make a coronavirus vaccine, it has failed miserably. It has caused organ failure and killed patients. That's not true. That, that, you, know, you know, and, and you know what, Alana, I'm, I'm going to stop 
the conversation with you now because, as I said, if we're going to have a discussion on the air and, and lots of people are going to be listening to you, I'm okay with that, and I'm sure Mike's okay with that, so long as we're talking facts and not stuff that's just nonsense. And you are talking stuff, and I have to tell you this, Alana, that that some of what you're saying is just nonsense. It is. So we are going to discontinue this discussion, and we do wish you well. So people have come up with all kinds of ways to pass the time when staying home in the pandemic. We've talked about a hospital seeing a rise in newborns. So, you know, some people are doing that. Others want to watch a lot of TV or movies. Others play video games, a lot of them. Nintendo, alive and thriving. Sales over the last nine months of 2020 jumped 37% to $13 billion. You couldn't get a Nintendo Switch for months on end, but... uh, It has delayed the opening of the theme park in Japan, so at least one setback for Nintendo, that theme park Super Nintendo World. You can find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.